For an older building, this surely has got a pleasant smell in the lobby. Mmm, that's sage. It's, uh, look, you can see the smudge over there. They've used it to uh, calm down any negative energy. Interesting. Yeah, something's definitely going on here. I'm Sam Saxon. I'm Joff DeRoot. And you're listening to Tales Unveiled, where we explore urban legends. This episode of Tales Unveiled is sponsored by Oki Comics. Oki Comics Magazine is a quarterly anthology publication showcasing the talents of Oklahoma creators with stories featuring Oklahoma. Check them out at okiecomics.com. That's O-K-I-E comics.com. The professor and I were at the Paramount Building in Oklahoma City's Film Road District. I had arranged to do a few interviews with those connected to the building. However, with everyone's busy schedules, we did them separately. First up was Bradley Wynn, who describes himself as an accidental urban archaeologist. I reached out to him for an interview because he had written a book about Film Row's history and had even had a hand in its revitalization. Hello, Bradley. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I like being here. Well, I want to, first of all, uh, you, we've met, we've talked in the past before, but I'd like to introduce my associate, Professor Joff DeRoot. Oh, that's Joff DeRoot. Anyway, let's kind of get started on the interview, shall we? I'm all for it. All right, well, I know you're quite the expert on Film Row's history. Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about the history of Film Row? Well, Film Row was actually part of a larger film exchange network. It was one of 37 across the nation. And at that time, uh, studios opened offices here in Oklahoma City. We had over 300 film exchange offices here in Oklahoma City. Um, each studio was kind of like the, the red box of their day. If you were a theater owner, you would come to uh, the film exchange offices of whatever studio you were looking at their films from and rent, your, rent and or lease your films from them to show in your theater. Over time, ancillary businesses began to pop up here so you could get everything from movie posters to popcorn concession machines through keep entire projection rooms in, in stock. And so the moniker Film Row wound up being added by the people who worked down here during those years and uh, the rest, as we say, is history. What exactly caused the downturn of Film Row? It was new technology, new advancements. Early on, film stock was actually a nitrate-based film that was highly flammable, so it had the same uh, chemical equivalent of gun cotton. So if things got a little heated, it could, well, explode. And entire projection rooms were known to go up, sometimes entire buildings. So Yeah, when we were in the Tower Theater, Stephen Tyler was showing us around, and explain on the projection room how it was like basically designed to become like sort of a death trap and capture somebody in there if you were unfortunate enough to be in there right to keep the fire from spreading right um I, there was actually a major fire there in the tower theater i've got some photographs of that as well that happened uh, shortly after the blue max came out gutted the entire theater ouch uh, but anyway the uh, the change in technology came about where instead of transporting the flammable film in fireproof cans and fireproof trucks and fireproof train cars, etc., they introduced a new uh, film stock that was made out of polyester. So it was no longer flammable. It changed how it could be traveled, and so they could fly it, and there was no longer a need for film exchanges. And so one by one, they all began to fell across the nation. Ours was the last one in 1983 is when it actually closed the last film exchange office doors here, and uh, that was it. 
of course now film row is anything but boring or desolate but there was a period where it wasn't the case can you tell me about that point of history well oklahoma city itself went through an unusual phase of what we call um, urban renewal there was a man who sold the city on the idea of creating a utopian setting, if you will, and uh, his name was Pei, and so he introduced what's called a Pei Plan, and Pei spelled P-E-I. So the city leaders at the time went on this crusade of tearing down all these old structures to replace them with this new utopian setting, if you will. Uh, unfortunately, just as they had torn down over 400 acres, the economic bottom of the barrel literally fell out for Oklahoma City and there wasn't much more they could do and or build. And so the city kind of killed itself, slit its own throat if you will. And throughout the 70s and the 80s the downtown that you see in these really cool pictures was not like that anymore. And Film Row filled very quickly with bars and seedy characters and prostitutes and drug usage and a lot of vagrants and uh, a new moniker emerged called Skid Row. And it would continue with that moniker until we began to redeveloping the area in the uh, 2000s. How did the redevelopment come about? Uh, actually, quite by accident. Uh, I was trying to find office space that those who did the business of filmmaking could utilize to help them in that business. Uh, I came across a, a small article in what was then called um, Slice magazine about the Oklahoma Theater Supply Company, which had been down here for 74 years. And uh, she was talking about this area in the article, and I thought to myself, now wait a minute, I've, I've driven through that part of town many, many times, and I don't remember any of that. So when I came back down here, the first thing I noticed right away was the Film Exchange Building, which had been vacant for upwards of 35 years at that point. And, uh, you know, we're talking about broken windows and a lot of pigeon poop and, you know, missing roofs and such. And, and when people would drive through this area, they drove with blinders on, so they didn't really pay attention, just like myself, because it was a really dilapidated part of the city. And so I met with Maxine Peake, who was the owner of the Oklahoma Theater Supply Company at the time. And she was, I want to say, 93 at the time I met with her. And it, when she starts telling me about all that time that she was down here, because they opened the business in 1930, so she was one of the first real businesses down here that was still in business. I mean, I fell in love right away, and I said, well, we can't, we can't let this stuff go away. And so I started researching it, uh, picking up where a, a young architect student at the time, David Wanzer, had been working, because he really researched a lot of Oklahoma City uh, film row history as well. We met with the city. Uh, and began working towards an effort of creating a new district around the Film Exchange building. We were very fortunate that uh, we had an angel investor in Chip Fudge, a, uh, uh, a prominent man here in the city who's really invested in the city and bringing back things. And um, the creation of the district, we began meeting in the basement of what was then called Stage Center, which doesn't exist anymore. And then we met in Chip Fudge's building and we would bring in all kinds of professionals from Main Street programs, things with the city, other entrepreneurs, and try and get an idea of how do you build a new district out of something like what we were finding, a bunch of, I mean, there was nothing down here. There was, I think, only two businesses left at the time because Maxine Peak closed her doors that same year that I met with her after 74 years in business. So we had a t-shirt screen printing place and what was called the International Crystal Company, which made crystals like what used to go in CBs and or military radios. And they, of course, were dealing with a technology that was very quickly going defunct. So hmm. there was going to be time that they weren't going to be here anymore. And so the idea was how do we save this area from demolition? Because the city was beginning to expand and grow. We had the introduction of Devon Tower just a couple years afterwards. I knew that that tower was coming because my aunt was a secretary with them. So I kind of knew the rumblings of it. 
And uh, so anyway, we just got the right people involved, and it was all just a very serendipitous thing, and it just unfolded. And what was really amazing is that at no time did someone think we were out of our minds. They actually thought, wow, that's a cool idea. And whenever we talked about what we were doing, they instantly got it. And so uh, we're, we're very thankful that everything just played out the way it was. And like I said, it's now like the hottest district in the city. Yeah, I'm thankful that things, you know, you were able to th- help turn this district around. There's so many cool things around here. Flashback Retro Pub, you know, 21C Museum and Hotel. At the time we're recording this, there's a lot of development going on, a lot of renovation. So it's still growing, and that's really exciting. Anyway, I'm going to turn it over to Joff here, who has a couple questions for you about some of your personal experience from his um, some of his research he's mentioned to me. Right with all, oops, go ahead. I'm going to give you the mic. Okay, great. Uh, with all this renovations, the, they say that those usually stir up whatever activity is latent. Uh, did you, have you seen anything? Uh, well, I mean, these buildings were built during the 1920s and the 30s. So of course, you have that unique history going back. But there were things here before. There were houses that stood here. This is a residential neighborhood at the time. Uh, back in the day, uh, there's a building down uh, just down the street that was what was called a uh, ice and coal building, so they produced both fire and ice, and that was a very large building that went all the way to Main Street, uh, so it was like almost an entire block long, and then it became a beer warehouse at some point, so I'm sure those guys stuck around for something, but yeah, there is a lot of stirring up, because I mean, there's a lot of new construction down here, and a lot of new turning of soil, if you will, so I mean, I myself, I hear things all the time from people, um, especially like in 21C, now I'm hearing some people talking about some things, which is kind of fun. And I certainly had my own experiences in the building in, that we're sitting in now. So. Oh, wow. Could you tell us about that? Well, what's interesting is we're sitting in the former screening room of the uh, Paramount Pictures Film Exchange from back in the day. And uh, you wouldn't know it looking at it, but the screening room portion of this building was actually its own freestanding structure at one time. And I was able to determine that this building was probably built in the 19-teens in support of the Model T factory, which is the Fred Jones Assembly Building, which became the 21C Hotel just down the street. And then the rest of the building later would be built on top of this. This particular building was, what I'm guessing, was a tire shop of some sort or some sort of an ancillary business that supported the Model T factory down the street. So that means that this building has been here a lot longer than the building attached to it because I think the building attached to it was built in like 1933 or 34. So this particular building uh, has a lot longer history and, and that's probably why I experienced more in this particular space. So I remember I want to say it was around October of 2006, I was setting up for a conference slash meeting. I can't remember what the event was, to tell you the truth. And I was up on the stage, which is on the uh, south end of the building, and there's a projection room on the uh, north end of this particular space. And of course, you know, you have all the glass windows there that projectors would have used. And so I'm, I'm up on a ladder putting something together, and I glance over and I saw this face in one of the projection window glasses and what was interesting is of course the room's dark but the face was like illuminated somewhat like it was pressed up against not up against the glass but enough like close enough and I thought that a vagrant had gotten into the building because there's a door a side door there that exits out into the parking lot and I hadn't heard anything but I just assumed someone's in the building so I immediately stopped what I was doing and, and literally like within 10 to 15 seconds I had gone from the stage to the projection room to escort whoever the gentleman was out, and I remember it was a man's face, 
And when I opened the door, of course, there's no one there, and the, the door on the inside was totally locked. And I mean, there's no way that someone could have gotten in and out, and it was a very noisy door, and there was nowhere else that someone could have gone. There's a trap door there. I looked through the, under the trap door just to see there were things on top of that trap door that I had to move to get out of the way. And mm -hmm. I just thought, wow, I, I think I just saw a spirit of someone here. I don't know who it was. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there were a lot of people who spent a lot of time in this building. I know that early on there was a man uh, named Russell Godwin who was the one who operated the projection room. He's very passionate about what he did. I would like to think that maybe it was Russell. I don't know. Uh, it was an, not an old man, but I want to say someone probably in their 30s or 40s in age. I mean, I remember it very clearly, but there was, there was nothing else there. And then, of course, this theater had a tendency of getting very cold. I mean, it shouldn't have, it shouldn't be able to mm. do that. And so, you know, we'd have cold spots, of course, too, depending Classic. on where you were. Mm -hmm. um, you, you sit in here long enough and, you know, this is a building that's been here a very long time. So as far as settling is concerned, I mean, there are noises that you would, you know, normally say, oh, the building is settling, but that's not, I don't know, there's just other things here. At the time, there weren't any of the theater seats that are in here now. Uh, we had folding chairs, and there were times that we would come in here and find folding chairs turned in the opposite direction. You know, like someone just picked up the chair and turned it around facing the other way. And there were, well, there's still the steps here. Sometimes you would find folding chairs folded up and up against the wall, hmm. sometimes stacked on top of each other. It's very weird things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that I never told anybody. Because I, I don't know, maybe I shook it off or maybe I thought, well, if I tell somebody something, then nobody wants to come in here. Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to scare anybody off. And I also didn't want anybody thinking that I was nuts. So, you know, I wanted people to take me seriously because the Oklahoma Film Society was housed here at the time. And, and I, I didn't want anybody to, to not participate in what we were doing. So those are some of the experiences that I had mm -hmm. in this particular space. And I heard of others along Film Row and other spaces that other people had. Interesting. What kind of other stories? Uh, well, I mean, like uh, just across the street going to the east is the uh, former Metro Goldwyn Mayer building and the Fox Films building. Those two buildings are, are still filled with their original film vaults. So when you open up some of those film vault doors, you still see the stickers that projectionists would have ripped off the cans when they were taking out the movie cans to go screen films because there was a screening room in that in the Fox Films building. And um, so there's like all these stickers from like King Kong and Dracula and stuff like that on the, the doors. And, you know, I, I, I've heard stories of those fireproof doors slamming shut, but they're rarely ever open to begin with, and they're very heavy doors, so it's a very distinct sound. Footsteps, you know, all the time, you know, these these were uh, tiled floors and stuff, and just unusual noises, sometimes lights uh, in windows when you're driving down. This is before we had, well, there was a lot of renovation going on on the street side where we were replacing all the infrastructure down the streets and there was private efforts going on in the buildings to try and renovate or restore. And, uh, and I, I remember in some of the buildings that you would think there were people in the building working because there would be lights inside the buildings. But in fact, nobody was ever in the building working and the power, like I remember one particular building, the power had been turned off because they were working on electrical lighting so there wasn't power running to the building so there could not have been lighting and it was an overnight thing so the power was still off to the building but i remember seeing lights in those windows and that was in the former building that was the national screen printing services building where they had movie posters and stuff so very mm -hmm. whole hotbed of activity i'm gonna make some notes on this so i mean that's that's about all i can remember 
Is there anything else you'd like to share about Film Row that you would like our listeners to know? First, if you haven't been down in this area of Oklahoma City, I encourage you to come down here. We uh, have a lot of unique spaces, unique architecture, and there's a lot of development. There's a lot of new things here. Uh, we've got the Fred Jones Assembly down the street, which is a very popular place, especially on Friday and Saturday nights. So we've got the uh, Flashback Flashback Retro Flashback Pub, retro yeah. pub um, which is really cool, especially for someone like me, because, you know, I, I remember all those arcade games and mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time with Pac-Man, Pizza mm-hmm. Hut. And um, then they're building all these new apartments and condominiums, and there's uh, a whole lot more slated for the future. They're talking about building a possible high school. I don't know if they're going to do it here. There was even talk about building potential skyscrapers just down the street uh, as well, just across the street from Walker. So there's a lot of activity down here. So certainly if something is being stirred up by the new activity, this is a, a unique place that you want to visit. And mm-hmm. um, and it definitely it's worth the trip, I think. And keep your eyes open. Yeah, and your ears. You never know what's going to happen down here. With some time to spare, I was fortunate enough to do an unscheduled interview with one of the newer Paramount building tenants, Alex Picard Davis. In addition to working for the Dead Center Film Festival, Alex is a local filmmaker who has filmed inside the building's basement. The professor and I were both curious to hear her stories. Thank you, Alex, for joining us. Thank you for having me. For the record, would you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself? I am the director of Festival and Operations for Dead Center Film, which is now located in the historic Paramount. What's your experience been like so far? I know you haven't been here too terribly <laughs> long, but what's it been like uh, being in here? It's been it, w- it was a very easy move. Um, it's it's been it's been fun. It feels like we're breathing life into an old building, and it's nice to have kind of the the heritage behind us. The fact that we're we're filming in the last standing screening room is really cool. Have you had any personal experiences before, you know, before you moved into here of, you know, being in the Paramount building itself? Um, yes, I actually was here back when it kind of did its grand relaunch for the Paramount Cafe years ago. But most recently, I filmed a 48 hour film um, at the end of July this year down in the uh, basement or the film vault. Um, So we were there for, I think we filmed for about 10 hours. (laughs) Did anything unusual happen to you filming? Um, Not terribly. We think that there's a ghost down there and I've kind of named her Gladys. And we kind of just, we talked to Gladys and we asked her to be nice and bless the bless the filming and not create too much chaos. It's a fun space down there. It's It echoes a lot, so it's hard when you're moving around down there to hear anything that isn't you. But our film was called Escape. It's about a group of people who think they're going to escape room, and they find out very quickly that it's not what you would think of as an escape room, <laughs> but it is a room they have to escape from. And surprise, there's a dead body. So we did have... A, a fake dead body down there for a while. I don't know about the real ones. <laughs> well, do you have any questions for Alex? Why Gladys? I don't know. It kind of just popped in my head of hmm. like an old lady secretary person who probably cataloged all of these film reels down there. Just 
Gladys was the name that came and kind of stuck. Hmm. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> have, you do, have you ever had any suspicion of extrasensory perception? No. I mean... No feelings? I have a really good gut. And sometimes hmm. I have dreams that are kind of, you know, maybe that could happen and maybe it does happen. But could I don't be. know how much of that is extra. Although I do think of myself as an extra person. Um <laughs> Well, it could be a baseline of some kind of things. I'm I'm open to the possibility. Then there's a whole spectrum of how sensitive you can be. Exactly. So some of us aren't. I've known I've known people who are much more sensitive than me. Hmm. So maybe we could get one of those in here. Hmm. Anything else you want to share to our listeners before we go? Um, That everybody is welcome to visit us in the building. Now that we're here, the door's usually open. <laughs> um, and maybe you'll see something for yourself. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. We had a few minutes before our next interview with the building manager upstairs. And so the professor took the opportunity to use the restroom, leaving behind his black leather notebook. With no one else around, I decided to sneak a peek at the first page, which... For lack of a better description, looked like it was written by a woman. In big, flowery letters, there was a message that said, Stay curious. Inside a red heart with some X's and O's down in the bottom corner. I casually closed the notebook when I heard his footsteps from around the corner. I started to put away the folding chairs we used, and before I left the theater, I looked back at the projection room windows one last time and saw nothing. The Paramount Room on the second floor is an event space people can rent for both public and private events. It has a main lobby area and a separate room for the bar. Elizabeth wrapped up a business conversation on the phone and greeted us with hugs. We took a seat in the living room-like area of the bar with a warm light coming from the large window that offered a great view of the area. Hello, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited. This is my first official podcast. No, I'm lying. It's my second, but my first voluntary one. First voluntary one. Yes. Well, I'm glad that I'm your first voluntary (laughs) (laughs) podcast. Podcast. Like that's such a (laughs) difficult word to say. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm I'm pumped. So tell me, let's get started. Uh, let the listeners know. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Um, so I am currently the building manager of the Paramount on Film Row, which is part of the original film exchange of Oklahoma City and the last historic screening room in operation in the country. Exciting. It's old, really old. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, from the best of your knowledge, about the building. So I know that it was super active when the railroads were down here. Um, everything has changed many times through the course of industrialization in Oklahoma City. Um, it was probably a lot more relevant when there was a railroad track going through the alley. But it has been the home of film for probably the longest standing film related building outside of the theater supply building which still says theater supply on sheridan probably in all of the film related stage entertainment whatever you would say in oklahoma city um maybe in the state i don't know there could be something hidden that we don't know about somewhere else but to my knowledge and the research that i have done 
Up until the 70s, this was a film exchange where it was a theater headquarter, concession supplies, film in a can purchasing, like always relevant to the film community. And then it sort of shut down in the late 70s. In the 80s, it was dormant for a bit. And then really was bought and purchased by a couple people the last sort of like 20 years. And then um, right after 2012 was purchased by the owners who own it now, 2012-2013. Let's talk about, let's get a little bit more into present day. How would you kind of describe Film Row for those that haven't aren't familiar with this district? Film Row is a diamond in the rough, so to say. There hasn't been a lot of money spent here on development, so it's been sort of hard to keep it relevant. Um, recently, we had some development on the west side of the district, and it has really sort of so to say, breathe new life into the area and people are starting to care about it a little bit more. It's a really cool little district on the outside of downtown Oklahoma City that is sort of a crossroad district, so to say, between the Farmer's Market District and downtown OKC and the Arts District. And um, it's been able to maintain sort of its historic nature throughout its existence. It was a major player in a lot of Midwestern um, movie houses. A lot of film production relationships happened here, even outside of film distribution. Um, And the relationship between Thomas Edison and Oklahoma, Film Row was a big player of that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So did you know he owned all the patents for projection and film? Edison? Yes. Yes, that wouldn't surprise me. Right, you know or somebody that he knew did it and he took the credit. Um, so that's kind of how Reminds Hollywood- Reminds me of a joke. <laughs> what, what do you call a stolen te- Tesla? I don't. An but... Edison. Ah! <laughs> that's funny, I like that. Um, so Hollywood was formed for people to get away from the East Coast where Edison was so they wouldn't have to pay him royalties. And Oklahoma has just always, in a really weird way, been just a mecca of people who haven't quite gotten there and have just been a lot far enough to get away. But I don't know what town it is in Oklahoma, but Edison had a film production company here in Oklahoma. I'm guessing for cowboy movies and such, yeah, but yeah. Uh, Osage Nation. Osage, like Bartlesville, yeah. Green Country <laughs> Kind of area? that up area, Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. Which is weird too, because the Griffith building, which is part of the Paramount building now, it's attached, um, Henry Griffing owned the um, technology for broadcast television, which this, the initial program was in Bartlesville. So, mm-hmm. yeah, cable born deep. right here in Oklahoma. Yeah, cable and technology for cable broadcasting. And there's been a lot of interesting things that were, you know, born here in Oklahoma. Yeah, but this is particularly right here in this building. And I believe the Lyric Theater was owned by Griffith Theater also, and that was actually a broadcasting station, but this was their headquarters. Hmm. Well, anyway, we're going to get into some of your personal experiences about being in this building, which I'm going to hand it over to Joff Root here. What's up? So with so much history in this building, what, what might still be lingering here? Um, there are a lot of stories, 
a lot of them have been um, talked about by several different people that don't really know each other. So that is kind of the cursor for it to be true, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My own personal experience has been up in this bar area, which is on the second floor, which was really the main headquarters for all of the administration for Paramount Pictures in the 40s and 50s mm. into the 60s before Vistaview purchased the building. I have just had um, personal experience with visual sort of, um, I wouldn't say a shadow, but I would say a silhouette figure um, has been up here. And I didn't really know anything about the history of the building when I experienced this. I was just here late one night by myself and I saw a man in a suit with a fedora on just standing there. And it wasn't like, I couldn't pick out his like facial characteristics, but it was definitely that silhouette so to say. Um, and later on learning about the Paramount building, I saw a picture of the man and it was exactly the dude that I had seen wow. standing there, which is crazy to me. He wasn't an executive. He wasn't a well-to-do guy. He was just the caretaker of the building and owned his own production company back in the forties. Um, hmm. and I'm guessing he came back to sort of hang out and make sure we were doing it right. So you know? dedicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, and I don't, I know that there have been people that have probably died here because of the way that projection rooms were back in the day um, with the fires and explosions and stuff. There's actually an escape hatch in the floor of our projection room. And the way that the fire suppression system was set up to save the theater, the door to the projection room would lock if it would get set off from a fire or smoke or whatever. And they would have to crawl through the floor and underneath the projection room and out the back next to a film vault to escape it. So just being in there is a little eerie. You can definitely feel something happening. Mm. Um, outside of that, it's been a lot of sounds, mainly footsteps at like mm -hmm. 2 a.m., which no one's here and the parking lot's empty. My husband and I have heard kids on the third floor when we were on the second floor um, sort of giggling and rolling things back and forth in the hmm. hallway. And we would go up there and there would be nothing. And then there is a lady, we like to call her Gladys, that sort of takes care of the basement, so to say. Um, she's really sweet. There are a lot of people who have confirmed verbal accounts of her saying, can I help you? Or how may I help you today? And there's a, one particular picture that exists in the Film Row book that shows her sitting at a desk in front of these racks and racks of cans of film. And it just, she just looks like the nicest old grandma that ever did exist. And it's kind of, I think that's her. I'm gonna say that it's her, but it feels mm. like her. So I know that a couple of tenants have, have also shared accounts with her in particular, where she even knew what their name was, mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. Wow. But she seems to talk more to men than women. Maybe she just trusts us and <laughs> doesn't know what to do with you guys. <laughs> That's right. We have to be taken care of. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. On mm -hmm. all accounts. <laughs> wow. So images, sounds... It's curious to hear about the children upstairs. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Um, I know what I heard, and I know what my husband heard, and he's, like, more cynical than I am. Um, and even a tenant, Jack Fowler, who's an artist, he was here up until about a week ago when his lease ran out, but he is not a believer in any sort of spiritual, ghostly nothing. And he, the last two months he was here, he's like, no, there's something here. There's for sure something here. It's doors shutting, wind blowing, it would never have, I mean, our bathroom doors are like the heaviest doors you can imagine. And they slam shut, open and shut at night. 
They don't do it during the day, but only at night. So it's hmm. just the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest. But I embrace it. I say if it's not causing an issue, be cool with it. <laughs> I'm trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good philosophy to have. Yeah, yeah. Try to be cool with it. Don't mm-hmm. give it the negative energy that it wishes to have. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to feed it. I've seen all the movies. I don't want to feed the nothing. It's a never-ending story reference. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share or talk about about Film Road in general or this building? Any history, tidbits, personal experiences? Um, outside of this being the last film-centric, film-friendly building, um, I would say that the energy in the building definitely changed when we started remodeling it. And it was almost like a, like a thank you. Like things stopped messing up. Whereas a year ago, something went wrong every other day, right? And it sort of felt like whomever is here or multiple people seem to be kind of grateful for it, which I think is pretty rad. And I think that everyone has sort of that same end goal, which is to make this building thrive and survive, and mm-hmm. um, as well as honor the history and the importance of the space that it's had for the last hundred years, from Price Lasky to Paramount to Griffith to Vista View, up until Paramount Partners has purchased it. Um, so I think that that's kind of been my take on it. And when I'm here alone, which does not happen that often because I refuse to be. I can almost, you can almost feel that sort of like, just that like sigh of, it's not so tenuous now. Like we know that you're doing it right. We know that you're doing something good. So it's cool to sort of honor that and feel that appreciation, which is, it sounds so crazy, but it sort of feels like a spiritual appreciation of the space that the building sort of giving back to us since we started doing things in it. So I, I dig it. So um, speaking on the different districts, have you guys um, spoken to anyone from Bricktown? No, not yet. I'm not too familiar with any I hear haunt- there's a lot of creepy stuff down there. Mm, let me, uh, Professor, what do you know about Bricktown? Well, Bricktown's had a history as complicated as Film Row. We can only imagine what may be lurking around in those old buildings. From my research, many of the restaurants have uh, problems with poltergeists going through and rearranging some of the stored goods and moving bottles around and uh, not just moving them but throwing them across the room against the far wall. Oklahoma City's first death was in fact in Bricktown or what they called it in the day. Yeah, a man was uh, discovered hanged and no one knows how exactly it happened. Legally speaking, the judge who appointed himself said that it was due to the wetness of the night, the ropes shrank. Okay. Sure. I believe it. I suppose I'll get some interviews scheduled and see if we can't do our next episode on Bricktown. I'm excited to hear it. That sounds like an excellent idea. We finished our interview with perfect timing as prospective tenants just happened to arrive in the room with us to meet up with Elizabeth for a tour. We said our goodbyes, and as I was starting to pack up my sound equipment, a woman came into the room who recognized Jeff. I immediately... Hit the record button. Jeff! Jeff! Hi! It's Courtney! How are you? Oh, Courtney! Hi! It's been a while. 
Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've seen you. I'm so um, so happy to see you. I, I've been listening to that podcast that you've been doing. I think it was that third episode. I think I think you guys were at Kendall's restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was really, really a great one. Oh, thanks. Yes, that was the fourth episode. Oh, it was a really, really good one. Did you did you hear that voice? Yes, our EVP that we captured. Yeah, we're very excited getting that documented. I, I feel like there's a reason why I'm seeing you today. Um, I, I feel like there was that the voice in that recording um, that wasn't one of the ghosts at Kindles. What do you mean? We we registered several ghosts. Well, I think that it was someone, but some, someone not attached to Kindles. Um, someone really powerful, uh, strong enough though to mask their true nature. Interesting. Hmm. Oh, you know what? It's time to go. I've really got to run, though, Jeff. It was so good to see you. If you've, you know, if you've got any questions or anything, I've got to run. I've got a client. So um, I do feel like there's something, though, that, that there was a reason we were all brought, brought together. All right. Bye, Jeff. I'll see you later. Bye. Who was that? Oh, that was Courtney. She's a local medium. We've worked together before. Really? What have you guys done together? Oh, well, it uh, was actually predating a lot of my local research. This was uh, something personal. She uh, kind of opened my eyes to a few things that uh, I'd never seen before. Really? You want to elaborate a little bit? Um, it was a very personal connection with someone that I had lost, and um, I think that's all I want to say about that right now. Sure, I, I'll respect that, man. Anyway, um, just to get back on track, uh, I guess I'll see you in a couple of days or soon whenever I hear back from people in Bricktown, and we'll get that next episode going. Yes, more evidence of things happening here in Oklahoma. Tales Unveiled is a production of The Show Starts Now Studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman. The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman. The voice of Professor Jeff DeRoot is Jeff Provine. Featuring Bradley Wynn, Alex Picard Davis, Elizabeth Mackius, and Courtney Kane Sides as themselves. To support this podcast and get bonus content, visit www.talesunveiled.com. Finally, today's advice is from Will Rogers. If you want to be successful, it's just this symbol. Know what you're doing, love what you're doing, and believe in what you're doing. <laughs>